The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the reading of Lord's Word from the book of Genesis, chapters 5 and 6. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalah. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalah 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalah had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalah lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, the days of Mahalalah were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toils of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. When man man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any that they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his day shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, When the sons of God came to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, they were the mighty men who were of old, the the men of renown. 
The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention in the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord God said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Blessed be the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for your word, even parts that are difficult to understand. Um, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word this morning. I ask that your Holy Spirit would be here. You would think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords that you would um, allow us to hear what you're trying to say to us, um, that you would grant faith and repentance in this room, and that we would lift up your name and we glorify you and we would be blessed through the reading, through the studying, through our time together in the word of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, man. Starting early. All right, I'm going to have somebody come up here and fix this. I'm not, I'm not getting going and then having to stop. Check, check. We good to go? When it touched my mic. No. Awesome. Good, 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 good. Check, 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 check. All right, that works for me. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and pass these out. What I, I've got some stuff for you here. So I'm going to pass it out. And one per family, pretty much. One per family. Well, you can have, if you want more, you can get more. But I'll explain, you can kind of tell what it is, but I'll explain it once you get it. <clears throat> get it and then just hold on to it. Don't, you don't need to like dig into it yet. I'm going to walk you through it in a little bit. I just want you to, to have it there um, in a moment. And then we'll, when we're done, I'm going to get going. Cool. All right. Here we go. Are we ready to do this? Are we ready to do this? Sacred City Church? Okay. I'm just going to let you know. The reason I'm trying to get you warmed up is because this is the toughest section of scripture I've ever preached in my life. Okay. I'm just going to throw that out there. I've never heard anyone preach it. I've never been in a church where anyone preached it. This is a section of scripture. If you read through the Bible where you go, Noah. Okay, cool. Tell me about the flood. All right. You know you do it. You fly through the section of Scripture. Well, that's not what we do around here. We've been going verse by verse uh, through the four cha- first four chapters of the book of Genesis. And at least one of us have been having fun. All right? I've thoroughly been enjoying myself. Um, see, I have good days and I have bad days. I have days where a lot of my life makes sense to me. And I have other days that I have no idea what the heck is going on. A lot of my days are full of joys and triumphs. But more often than not, those days are mixed 
with pain, with frustrations, and relational difficulties. It's days like that that cause me to ask why. Do you ever ask why? Why are things so difficult? Why can't we all just get along like Rodney King said? Genesis tells us why. God created everything perfect, but sin has damaged every aspect of creation. The rebellion that was instituted by Satan and Adam and Eve's treason against God has affected every single person and all of creation. And it is the cause of all of our frustration in life. Genesis chapter 5, see, it's one of those chapters that if you, you just skim over in your Bible reading plan, right? You get to a list of names, a genealogy, and you're like, what the heck is this? Why is this in the Bible? What's the point? I'm just going to skip it, right? What other books, how many are readers in here? You got any, anybody readers? Okay, cool. You guys could raise your hand, just act like you are, the, you know, that's, that's fine. Uh, what other books do you commonly read that has genealogies in them? None, right? None, right? I, I tried that Ancestor.com thing. I tried it for like five seconds, too much work. Boom, I'm boring. I'm out of here, right? Listen, genealogies are boring, okay? Lord of the Rings has got a few. Uh, there's a couple books that's got a few, but most books do not have genealogies. They're incredibly boring, right? They're dry. They're repetitive. Very few people are going to crack open a book, and if the first page is a genealogy, they're going to go, this is just, I'm just caught up in this book. This is phenomenal, right? Now, listen, they're, they're kind of monotonous. They're, they're kind of, they seem meaningless. They seem dry. They seem boring. A lot like life, actually. But the God of the Bible, he does nothing accidentally. He does not, nothing without purposefully, willfully choosing to do it. So why would God put these genealogies in a Bible, in a book that he wants us to read? 2 Timothy three sixteen through 7 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. So it's going to take some faith on our part this morning. We're going to have to believe God that he says all of his scripture is profitable. All of it is good to teach. All of it is meant for our good. Even sections of genealogy. So this is an important opportunity given to us. Now listen, this is an opportunity given to us by expository preaching. Um, no preacher is going to go to his prayer closet and say, all right, what do you want me to pray? Or what do you want me to preach, Father? And they're going to walk away saying, the genealogy from chapter Genesis chapter 5. All right, it just doesn't happen. People, usually pastors are like, you know what, I need to preach on stress, or I need to preach on parenting, or I need to preach on grace, or I need to preach on the attributes of God, or I need to pre- the Lord's Prayer. Nobody, nobody preaches verse by verse through this book, and especially through this chapter, okay? And it's incredibly difficult, and hey, I kind of like going where no man has gone before. So we're just going to do it. We're going to go verse by verse through this book. We're going to see what God has to offer us. Um, I really have never been to a church. I try to search it out. I try to Google it. Um, I think I found two. Um, I found two sermons that had it included, but they really just rushed through it and then just preached Noah, right? And I, I was like, we're not going to preach three chapters of Scripture. We're going to do one. So the first thing you need to know, as we get into this scripture, all right, 
I'm just going to tell you, um, there's a lot of reasons for me not to preach this. This is going to seem, a lot of this, sec- this is the, one of the most difficult sections of Scripture to preach in all the Bible. It's one of the most difficult sections of Scripture to understand in all of the Bible. We have been seeing uh, how God is very much cognitive. He's very much, he involves our mind. He, he, he loves um, to, to reveal things to our senses, like through the sciences and stuff. We've went through the first four uh, chapters of the book of Genesis. Well, chapter five is kind of different. Chapter five is going to take some faith. Sometimes it reads more like a fairy tale. I'm just going to tell you, it reads more like a fairy tale than it does narrative history, like we've seen the rest of the book. So the first thing that we need to know as we're getting into it right away, is that this chapter is going to cover 1,600 years. Six, one chapter. 1,600 years of human history. It's not meant to be exhaustive or comprehensive. Like all of us, there's some people in the family tree that are better left unmentioned, right? Some of those people we just skip over when we're talking about our family tree, right? Moses only names one person in each generation, But this is significant. Moses covers 1,600 years of human history in one chapter. He's tracing humanity from Adam and Eve up until the flood. So Moses here covers about the same amount of history. Listen to this. In one chapter, he covers the same amount of history as the rest of the Old Testament combined. Moses covers 1,600 years in one chapter, and it's about another 1,600 years of the rest of the Old Testament combined. All right, so we're doing it here at breakneck speed. We're going fast through this. And I'm just going to throw this out there. Today, we're going to cover some very difficult things in Scripture. Some things that they're going to make you ask, it's going to make you ask questions. It should make you ask questions. So what I'm going to do after the service, I'm going to, I always, I, I greet at the door as we leave, but I'm going to go do that for a little bit. And then I'm going to come back in here. And if anybody, we're going to have a Q&A session. So if you have questions while I'm preaching, write it down and you can ask it when we, uh, later on uh, this afternoon, because we're, you're probably going to have them. I'm not going to be able to touch everything, and it's going to go pretty quick. So here we go. Since this section of, of Scripture is potentially boring, uh, I printed out a visual depiction for you that was drawn in 1624 by author Miles Smith. I love old stuff like that, so um, I thought I would give you one. If, if you, Hopefully it'll be memorable for you. I like to frame stuff like that. I ha- have it hanging up in my office. I love old stuff. And uh, it's just good to me. Man, this is bugging me. Thought we had it fixed. Go ahead. See if it's any better. All right, let's go. Get back. Get into the Word. Genesis chapter 5. If it gets bad, it's getting ripped off. I'm just going to tell you that today. I don't have time for it. My patience is at an end. Here we go. This is the book of Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. If you're there, say there. This is the book of the generations of Adam. So first thing he starts out with is a little overview, an introduction, catching us up to speed. When God created man, he created him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and he named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son.
All right, good. You're good? All right. Here we go. I apologize. I apologize for all this, but that's what happens. Verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image, and he named him Seth. Okay, stop right there. What's missing here? Oh, Cain, nice. I love these sacred cities. Scott. Exactly. That's right. Moses does not even mention what has already happened in chapter 4. He doesn't mention Cain or Abel. Cain has already killed his brother Abel, but Moses doesn't even mention it here when he's going through Adam's genealogy. Why? You want to know why? Because ultimately, Cain is insignificant. Cain doesn't even matter. I know that sounds harsh, and maybe it is, but in the grand scope of God's story of redemption, Cain was rejected by God and therefore doesn't get to play a part in God's story of redemption. So when he's going through and listing, and Moses is listing here uh, the genealogy, he doesn't even list Cain. Cain was rejected by God. He's off the map. In the last part of chapter 4, Cain and his descendants are listed, and their accomplishments are absolutely amazing. If you remember from last week, within, listen to this, within seven generations, Cain's descendants had built a city. They had created wind and stringed instruments. They had learned how to forge metals, make weapons and tools. They had learned how to farm the ground and shepherd large large herds of cattle. Within seven generations, they were culture makers. Cain's family had amassed a great amount of worldly success. I want you to think about this. They, They were cultural shapers. They were movers and shakers. They they created the first instruments. They created music. They built the first city. Phenomenal accomplishments. But here's the kicker. None of them walked with God. None of them knew God nor lived for His glory. With all of their success, we also saw violence, murder, and sexual immorality. As far as we can tell, all of Cain's descendants lived died, and went to hell. Tragic. Cain was a rebellious, godless man, and he raised his kids to be rebellious and godless people. So in God's plan of redemption, if you remember in Genesis 3.15, God promised to produce an offspring of Adam and Eve who would eventually make all things right. They would fix, this offspring of Adam and Eve, would fix what Adam and Eve have screwed up in the garden. And now we see this plan of redemption start to unfold. So here, in God's providence, he chooses Seth, and he rejects Cain and his lineage, and he chooses the line of Seth for his purpose of redemption. All right? So let's get back into it. God told us, remember God told us in Genesis 2.16, that disobedience would bring what? Death. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Genesis 5 is a display case of the doctrine of sin. It is showing us the repercussions of sin. God is just. He is honest. 
He does not lie. He promises judgment. And when he promises judgment, judgment comes. So as we read, you're going to see this pattern. We already saw the pattern probably with the reading of Scripture this morning. A person is born. They live. They make some babies. And then what happens? They die. And then he died. That's kind of life in a nutshell. Right? It's boring. It's life. You're born. You live for a while. You make some babies. You die. Let's get into it. Verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. After his own image, he named him Seth. The days of Adam, after he fathered Seth, were 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Adam, Adam lived were 930 years, and then he died. See, this is what I'm talking about. Hard to believe, right? These guys had, these guys had some impressive lifespans, did they not? Now listen, many scholars believe, there's a lot of... Um, ideas out there, but many scholars believe that this was because they were only one or two generations away from perfection. That Adam and Eve were created with perfect, perfect genetic blueprints and therefore didn't inherit any flaws from their parents. We inherit the flaws of our parents. <clears throat> but as life goes on, sin just kind of compiles where today we have thousands of years of sin running through our veins and we are far removed from Adam and Eve and their per- perfect genes. So there's a lot of ideas. There's, there's no pollution in the world. Um, everything, you know, they're eating, they're vegetarians up until this point. Uh, they've got perfect genes and per- perfect genetic blueprint. There's a lot of ideas why they're living these long, long lives, all right? They're, they're close to the origin of life. They're They're not far removed, too far removed from the garden and from God's perfect blessing. So as we get into it, you're going to see they're living long lives. I know it's hard to believe, but this is um, what Scripture tells us. Let's keep reading. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and then he died. When Enosh lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years, had other sons and daughters, and thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and then he... Okay, Moses here is laying it on pretty thick. All right? He's wanting us to see this pattern. He's wanting us to see born, lived, made babies, died. Okay, this is... God does what he promises... Don't eat of it, don't rebel, don't sin, or you will die. He's showing in 600 years of human history, God is faithful. This is what happens. The repercussions of sin, the doctrine of sin. You're all going to die. We're all going to die. It's going to happen. All right? He's wanting to lay it on pretty thick that you see this. Lived, made babies, lived a little bit longer, died. Okay? We see this pattern. He lived, he made some babies, he lived some more, he died. This just keeps getting repeated. Moses is really laying it on thick for all of us with a public school education. We can pick this up, all right? I want us to see that it's coming in pretty quick. But what we need to see, and the reason he's making this rhythm, is because he's about to break the rhythm. Verse 21. We're going to skip a little bit because it's just more rhythm. Verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. 
after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Do you see that rhythm? Do you see how it was broken up? Enoch, Scripture says, he walks with God. First time we see that in this text. I want to ask you, what do you think it means to walk with God? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It's not a general term used for people who throw up a prayer every now and then to the big man upstairs. It's not a term reserved for those who go to church week in and week out. This phrase, walked with God, is a term that depicts an ongoing intimacy with God. An ongoing intimacy. It's not like when I'm in trouble, I call on Him. It's not like He's this, you know, principal in the sky that I have to talk to every now and then. It's a term that relates to an intimacy, an ongoing intimacy. There's a, books written on it. So we see this man was born, he lived, he made some babies, and then he died. We see this rhythm playing out over and over and over. And then we get to Enoch, and all of a sudden it doesn't say he was born. And then he says he was, well, it says he was born, he walked with God. He throws this new thing in there. He walked with God. Moses wants his readers to see this. If you remember, he was writing to the Hebrew slaves as they were wandering in the desert. And he was trying to teach them, listen, about the God who had just rescued them. They had witnessed the power of God in the plagues and the miracles that God had performed on their behalf in rescuing them from Pharaoh and his armies. But Moses wanted them to see that God wanted more than just a mental assent to his being. He wanted more than just an acknowledgement of his existence. The point of life is to know and walk with our creator in an intimate relationship with him. Do you hear that? I can't tell you how many people I meet in coffee shops and uh, just, uh, just all, all over the place that, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in God. And it's, an, it's a mental ascent. But there's no intimacy. There's no relationship there. God is after our hearts. He wants an int- He wants to walk with us. He's not satisfied with just, yeah, I think God probably exists because I don't really know where the origin of life comes from. I don't really know what happens after death. So yeah, there's probably a big guy up there running everything. He wants more than that. So Moses, Moses strategically breaks up the rhythm of the text to point this out. And then look what happens. Look in verse 24. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. All right, this is what I'm saying. This is, this is where this text is just starting to get weird, all right? Starting to get weird on us. Enoch is one of two people who do not taste death in the scriptures. Enoch broke the rhythm by walking with God, and then God broke the rhythm of death by taking him to heaven. Enoch is one of two guys in the Bible who don't taste death. The, death. the other one is Elijah. Many scholars, and this is, guys, I, I, I know, this is going to be heavy stuff. It's going to be, we've got to go through it, though. Many scholars speculate that Enoch and Elijah will be the two prophets who, who are prophesied to come back in the book of Revelation and will be killed for preaching the gospel at the end. Many people believe those are the two prophets that will be killed for preaching the gospel. And then, I'm just dropping that in there. And then, 
as fast. Not, not a big deal, you know. Ask a question later. I know. I'm sorry, but it's here. And then, as fast as Enoch entered, as this is hilarious to me. Moses trying to teach a million people that are being led out of Egypt. Around a million people. And he's just like, oh yeah, and then there's this Enoch guy. He walked with God, and then he just wasn't. He just got taken up. So then, uh, all right, then we're going to go right on to Methuselah. <laughs> I can't imagine like a million hands being lifted in the air at the same time. Hold on. What is this beam me up Scotty stuff? I want to know about this thing. So just as fast as Enoch enters our story, he's gone, and we're right back into the pattern again. Life have some babies, live a little bit, little bit longer, and then death. Now listen, I know this is depressing. This is kind of a depressing chapter, okay? I'm just going to tell you that. It's going to be kind of a dark chapter. It's okay to have some dark days. I know our society hates to think about this. That What do you mean? Life is like, all we do is like, born, and then we live, and then we die? That's it? Yeah, that's, that's kind of it. I know we all expect some kind of rapturous existence that we're all American idols and we're just waiting to be discovered, right? I know we believe that, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches life is boring. Life is this. You're born. You live for a while. Maybe you'll make some babies. And then you'll die. And that's life. And we need to, sometimes we need to embrace the, the monotony of that. So many people looking for something greater than that. They get into drug abuse. They get into sexual promiscuity. They get into all these addictive behaviors because life, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more. The something more is you were built to walk with God while you do those things. And then one day we go to heaven and then one day Christ comes back and heaven comes to earth and we get to be completely fulfilled on this earth. But right now we never will be. So, here we go. Let's just keep going. We got Methuselah, verse 25. When Methuselah, if you've ever do Trivia Pursuit, you need to know this right here, okay? When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years. And then he... Oldest dude in the Bible, right there. Oldest person to ever live, Methuselah. Trivia Pursuit, remember it, Okay. Then we got Lamech. Lamech comes in here. Same old, same rhythm, same thing. Then we got Noah. Lamech, give, Lamech has a son called Noah. Everybody knows about Noah. Um, Noah is one of the most popular guys in the history of the world. Everybody knows about the flood. Everybody knows about Noah. The majority of cultures and, and world know about Noah. We're going to talk about Noah specifically next week. But I want you to look. Uh, you can look at that, that printout I gave you. And it's interesting to note here that in 10 generations, all right, first off, on the left-hand side, you see uh, Cain's descendants, right? On the left-hand side, you see Cain's descendants. None of those people, fathers, I want you to pay attention to this, none of those people walked with God. As far as we know, none of those on the left walked with God. They did amazing things. Fathers, I'm going to tell you this. They were phenomenal football players, all right? They were Heisman Trophy winners, dads. They could throw a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, dads. All right? They were amazing architects. They created instruments. They were, they were geniuses of their time. But none of them walked with God. What are you rewarding, dad? 
What gets your attention, Dad? What do you see in your sons that you're rewarding? Do you only praise athletic endeavor? Do you only praise accomplishment? Or do you praise character? Do you praise them walking with God and pursuing God and, and, and maybe praying or, or sharing with their sister or um, repenting? Scary. Nobody, seven generations, nobody walks with God. On the right-hand side, you see the, the sons and, and the, the lineage of Seth. Now, in ten generations, Seth doesn't get much better, all right? It's not a guarantee that if you walk with God, your kids are going to walk with God. It's not a guarantee. It's interesting to note that in ten generations, Seth's lineage manages to pop out only two dudes who walk with God, which is still better than Cain. Cain's batting zero. And a detail that I find fascinating is that Cain and Seth actually name a couple of their kids the same names. If you look on the left and on the right, there's two dudes that show up. It looks like they show up on both sides. It's interesting that, that Seth and, and Cain name two of their sons the same. Cain's firstborn is Enoch. Cain's firstborn is Enoch. What's cool about this is Enoch is the first guy who builds a city. Genesis chapter 4 tells us that. But Seth's son, Enoch, walks with God. Do you see the juxtaposition there? Listen, God loves cultural creation. God loves cities. God loves music. God loves instruments. God loves architecture. But don't, Jesus said, gain the world and lose your soul. Then we got Lamech. There's a Lamech on Cain's side, and there's a Lamech on Adam's side. Lamech on Cain's side, he commits bigamy. He's the first polygamist. He has two wives. Polygamy is a sin, and it's interesting to see that it began with Cain's lineage. Lamech was a lustful man. He was a murderer who had no remorse. Isn't that interesting? Cain... A murderer, and his descendant was a murderer. And his, not only was he a murderer, he was not remorseful at all. He bragged about it in Genesis chapter 4. He gloated about it. But Seth's son, Lamech, fathered Noah. And even at the end of this chapter, he prophesied over him as a child, acknowledging that God had a purpose for him. So when Noah was born, he said, this guy is going to deliver us from the curse. This guy is going to do something special. God's going to use this young man. Dads, how often do you do something like that over your children? Lay your hands on your kid's head at night and pray over them and and speak over them and say, my child will worship God. Father, I ask that you would give my child a heart that would love you and would follow you all his days. So I want you to see that Moses here, Moses has already done what he set out to do. Okay, He's accomplished what he set out to do. He has moved us forward 1,600 years from Adam to Noah. And listen, thing, this is not, we're not there yet. Things just keep getting weirder. Alright? Things just keep getting weirder. Now listen, I would love to spend a whole week on this next section of Scripture because um, every single commentary, every single scholar I read on this has a little bit different idea. There is no consensus. It's, the majority of this is conjecture of what exactly this next text means. 
Nobody, at least nobody that I've read, has a really good handle on these verses. They read something out of Lord of the Rings. Okay, so we're going to go there. We're in chapter 6 now. So we just flew through 1,600 years of history. We've got a lot of, um, of lineage, and, and, and God is going to use Seth's line to birth in the future, to birth the Messiah. Out of this comes the Hebrew people. Out of this comes the nation of Israel. Out of this comes uh, eventually Jesus. And now we're in Genesis chapter 6. When you're there, say there. Okay, here we go. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days, look at this, his days shall be 120 years. First commentary real quick on this. Many people believe that there's two interpretations from this text right here. Number one, that God at this moment says, okay, do we see how sin is just compiling? Sin is just getting worse and worse and worse. So God says, finally, I'm done with this. People aren't going to live to be 969 years anymore. They're going to live to be 120 years. Boom, done, stamp, over. Okay, And you do see, after the flood, you do see human lifespans drastically decrease. Okay, But in Scripture itself, we've got at least two guys who live just beyond 120 years. Nobody in the three, four hundreds anymore, or seven hundreds. But we do see a couple people live past 120 years. So many scholars believe that this is not saying God's specifically saying God's limiting life to 120 years, but He's prophesying you will have 120 years to repent until the flood. Peter said that God was patient. He was long-suffering. He bared with them in the time of Noah, giving them plenty of time to repent. So many scholars believe that 120 years was just 100. God said, I'm going to do it. And he gave them 120 years to repent before the floods came and he wiped them off the face of the planet. So it's pretty cool if you look it up in the Guinness Book of World Record. There's a couple people, like anybody that's over 120 years, they're always from some country that they have no birth certificate and they like lose track, right? Like I'm, I'm 33 and I have to, babe, what, how old am I this year? Like I have to ask my wife, all right, I'm 30. If you're getting up into the 80s, 90s, 100s, come on now. You know you're not keeping track, right? And that's, you just, you ain't even got a birthday cake big enough for all them candles, Right? So that's, what, that's what's going on. So here, here, let's get back into it. This is where it gets even weirder. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Okay? This is, this is difficult. I'm just going to throw this out there. So we've got three possible interpretations of this, of this text that are agreed upon by, by most scholars. Number one, oh, Lord. Number one, this is evil spirits, okay? The sons of God are evil spirits. They're the, they're the demons. They're the angels that get cast out. And they see, oh, my goodness, these sons of women are smoking hot. All right? Let's hook this up. And these... Demons go down and have sex with women, and these women give birth to mighty men. Another version says giants. Okay, so you 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 learn think down in Second Samuel when you got uh, or, or in Samuel where you have uh, uh, Goliath. 
right? You've got giants. Well, they believe Goliath was a descendant of the Nephilim. Okay? This is some weird stuff here. All right, I'm just going to tell you. This is weird. We don't know what's going on. I, I, Paul, I'm preaching it, and, and guys, I, I, I don't know. All right? I believe it because I believe that it points to something greater, and I believe God knows more than I do, and I know I am not omniscient. There's many things that I don't know, so I don't understand this, but I place myself under the authority of the Word of God, and I say, okay, I guess. All right? But there's other interpretations as well. Okay? Here's a couple other ones. Um, they believe the sons of God were the evil sons of Cain, who were basically demon-possessed. They were led by, the, led by demon spirits. They were fully evil. And they slept with the daughters of Seth. All right? And they produced some of these mighty men of renown called the Nephilim. All right? And then the other, the other interpretation that this is actually male descendants of Seth who married evil daughters of Cain. Okay? We really don't know. It's really weird. Um, you could write a great fiction story out of that right there. Right? And I, I think, actually, um, there's some religions of the world that take that. And they believe that God did come down and, 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 and angels or whatever came down and had sex with women and, and created a whole other race of people. And they still exist today. Kind of weird. The Bible doesn't teach that. Um, the, the, the Bible does teach that these people were extinct. They, they do not exist anymore. But it's just a weird topic. All right? I'm just going to throw it out there. It's weird. I apologize. you got questions. That's why we have a Q&A today. Okay? We're flying through this. All right. So, but the point of this is this. Listen, Justin, what am I supposed to get out of this? What am I supposed to... We got the bride of Chucky here, right? Like, what am I supposed to get out of this stuff? All right? This is what you're supposed to get out of it, right here. The point is that these people... This is the words that, this is the words that Scripture says. They saw what looked good, and they went and took it. They saw the women. They looked good to them. They went and took them. This is the same language... That was used of Adam and Eve's disobedience. Do you remember? Eve saw the fruit. It looked good. So she took it. Moses is a genius, man. Moses is a phenomenal writer. He's, he's pointing us back to the garden. He's pointing us back to desires that we have as, our, as a human being. We have these desires to not submit to God. We have a desire to be God. If we see something, we want to say, that is good and I will take it for myself. That's the point that Moses is trying to get, get across here. He's showing us that, uh, that procreation. Remember? Be fruitful. Multiply. God gave his blessing upon humanity and says, Go be fruitful. Multiply. Make good culture. Build cities. Bless the world. But show people what I'm like. That it was meant for procreation. It was meant to be a blessing to fill the earth. But now it is being corrupted and is filling the earth with wickedness. And this is where things get dark. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every... You need to underline that. And that every intention... Of the thoughts of his heart was only, you need to underline that, evil, (laughs) continually underline that. Moses is a wordsmith. Is there any way to wiggle out of that scripture? 
Look, look at this. Every intention was only evil. Continually. Every. Only. Continually. This is dark. This right here, I'm going to, is called, is where we get part of it, where we get the doctrine of sin. Just what is sin? What does it do? How deep does it go? How has it affected human nature? How has it affected our souls? How has it affected humanity and creation? And if you get this wrong, you get the gospel wrong. Now, I need you to buckle up because this is going to get bumpy, okay? I mean, it's been smooth sailing up until this point, right? I'm telling you to buckle up because it's going to get even worse. Here we go. The Bible distinguishes between two types of sin. We call them original sin and actual sin. Original sin is already in my veins at birth. Original sin gives birth to actual sin. It probably, you know, more than likely, it took me a little bit to break my first commandment. Okay? I don't know. I'm pretty good at it. So maybe a day or so. I don't know. But it probably took me a little bit to break my first commandment. But I was born with sin in my veins. I was born a sinner that's called original sin. Now I'm going to give you some scriptures real fast. First off, original sin is the sin that has been imputed to us through the line of Adam. Every son and daughter of Adam, the Bible teaches that everyone came from Adam and Eve. They are our, we, the Bible calls them, a, or theologians call it a federal head. They're the beginning of the human race. Okay? We all flow from Adam and Eve. So therefore, as our genetics are passed through them, so is sin passed through them. David said this, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Sin in conception, at conception, he's already a sinner. Psalm 51, 5. Job said this, listen to Job. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? So the mother's a sinner. How could she give birth to something that's not a sinner? Not one, Job said. Jesus said, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. John 3, 6. And finally, Paul said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. All right? So we have this original sin that's in our veins. Now, it's hard for you to believe this because we get that little baby in our hands. And we look, and how could that baby be a sinner? Right? That is original sin wrapped in the Imago Dei. That is original sin wrapped in the image of God. You see it as soon as that ba- you cross that baby's will. I don't want to lay on my back. Blah! And that la- she just lets it go. Right? Okay, fine, roll her over. I don't want to lay on my side. Boo, she lets it go. Okay. Like, you see, and then when they get a little bit older, oh, you see it even more. Right? They learn words like no. And why? Right? You see, they're born with their own will. And that will is contrary to their parents. And that will is contrary to God. That will is a will of a sinner. How many people in this room sat down and taught your kid how to be selfish? 
All right, this, this is what I want you to do. Take it and say, mine! Right? No, no, no. You, you probably never did that. But then as soon as they had their little play, you had that little play date, and you, brought that, you thought it was going to be all fun, you brought them and sent them downstairs, and all of a sudden your kid, mine! 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 She's taking every toy that the other kid gets. Right? She's, a, she's got original sin in her veins. No one teaches their children or has to teach their children how to sin. We have to teach them how to be patient. We have to teach them how to share. We have to teach them how to obey God. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Okay? Eventually, we all sin. That is actual sin. So we have original sin in our veins, and then we, on our own, we all sin. Right? Actual sin. Original sin, actual sin. Now listen, I believe this is where so many people walk away from the Bible and what it teaches. God says, the thoughts and intentions of their hearts were only evil continuously. It's a huge indictment. The Bible does not teach, here we go, the Bible does not teach that human beings are basically good and they just need some rules to help them out. The prophet Jeremiah said this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? One of my favorite things people say when they do something wrong or they sin, they're like, well, you know, that wasn't my heart. I just want to smack them. I want to smack them and say, have you ever read Jeremiah? You don't know your heart. Our hearts are desperately wicked. You might have thought you were trying to be nice, but really you were just trying to get some accolades. You might have thought you were trying to be humble, but really you were just trying to like, I hope he thinks I'm humble. Martin Luther had it right when he said this. Without grace. This, this, could, this is going to... If you believe this, and if you see this, and, and if you listen to this, this could change your whole life. And I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Martin Luther said, Without grace, we do nothing but sin. Without grace, we do nothing but sin. Does, that, does this mean people that have not received grace, people that are not believers, that the, all they do is sin? doesn't mean that. What it means is we share with believers, un, believers and unbelievers, we share something called common grace. The sun shines on the good and the evil, on the just and the unjust. A sinner plants some seed and a, and a Christian plants some seed, they both grow. It's called common grace. So anytime any person does something selfless, does something good, does something for the sake of another, that is the work of grace in their life. Even if they're not a believer, that's a work of God. Everything good comes from God himself. This will change your mentality. Because many of us, we parent our kid like they're really good and we, they just need some rules to obey. So when they do something good, we're like, yeah, finally you cleaned your room. I've been trying to teach you how to do that. Instead of celebrating, you were truthful. That, that, that's the work of the Spirit in your heart. God is at work in your heart helping you tell the truth. Because I know none of us want to tell the truth. Especially if you're in trouble. You don't want to tell the truth. 
I used to do this all the time with my son. He would get in trouble, and, 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 and when we were in Omaha, he got in trouble the first few times when we were in Omaha. The teacher would come bring him to, to me. I'd, I'd walk out, I'd Javin, what'd you do? Oh, I hit a kid, and then I took his toy, and then I pulled a girl's hair. The teacher goes, that was incredibly truthful. I said, Javin, I thank you. that the, I'm glad that the Holy Spirit's working in your heart and God's helping you be truthful right now. Now let's go get a spanking. <laughs> right? <laughs> but that's God at work in his heart. Without grace, we do nothing but sin. Okay, here we go. We do not have free will. Free will? Give me a break. Give me a break. If we had free will, we could choose not to sin. That's free will. Free will is a hoax. It's a Pelagian pipe dream. The Bible says that we are born slaves to sin. I have no choice in that. No free will there. Born sinners, go ahead and try not to covet your neighbor's new roof, their new car, their new wife, their new motorcycle. Good luck with that, right? Especially if it comes in a row. Like you're like, yeah, the roof thing, I could, maybe next year, maybe we'll get some hail damage and, you know, I get this thing figured out. Then he pulls up in the new car and you're like, what the hell? The standard's getting higher, right? Then he gets, right? You know, sin is more. Sin is more than behavior. Sin is our heart. Sin is our attitude. Sin is our affections. We might say, what we do? I don't waste my money like that. Look at him wasting his money on that new car. You're coveting. You're just saying, if I had that much money, I'd put it in the bank. Well, good for you. It's still coveting. You're coveting what your neighbor has. Sin is an affection of our heart. Watch a person, watch a coworker get a raise and you not. Watch two people work on the same project and you do more work, but they get the accolades. How do you respond to that? Sin is deeper than, oh, I did some bad things. Sin is we have a wicked and desperate heart that wants to make ourselves God. We want everything to revolve around us. And when people talk about free, oh, I have free will. We don't have free will. I can't stop sinning. And the truth is, most of the time, we don't even want to. How could that be free will? How could I have... That's not free will. Did Adam and Eve have free will? Absolutely. We're not Adam and Eve. We're living with original sin in our veins. So people need more than the Ten Commandments. People need more than some rules and say, okay, be a good person. That's moralism. That is not Christianity. This is, I know this is dark. <laughs> this, listen, and this, this might seem like really bad news, and it is. I'm just going to tell you that. Especially to us, educated 21st century Americans, we don't want to believe this. We don't want to believe this. We want to believe that we're good-natured and that we're evolving into more advanced and more peaceful human beings. We're, we're evolving. We're, we're getting better. Our... The, the, the race of humans is, 
is moving forward and, and one day we'll all skip and hold hands and sing Kumbaya together, all the nations of the world. The more I live, the more I believe in devolution. I believe we're actually devolving. We're not the smartest people to ever live. Cain's descendants invented music. They invented cities. They invented metalwork in less than seven generations. Our modern advancements are just a result of the accumulation of knowledge. As time goes on, knowledge accumulates. We write books and then we can learn faster and, and it just accumulates. But, but we are not the smartest generation. We are not the smartest people to ever live. It's a lot more difficult to create the first guitar than it is to improve on the guitar, right? The theory of evolution says that things should be getting better and better and continue to evolve. And that's just not what God says, nor what I see as I study history. Right here, we have 1,600 years, and in 1,600 years, things just keep devolving. They keep getting darker and darker and darker to where God finally says, okay, the thoughts and intentions of their heart are always evil. Continually. Shoot, just a hundred, couple hundred years ago, a few hundred years ago, John Calvin wrote his 1,000 page magnum opus for the king of France when he was 27. 27. A couple hundred years ago, Jonathan Edwards entered Yale when he was 13 and graduated when he was 17 as valedictorian of Yale. The majority of teenagers and 20-year-olds today couldn't even read Calvin or Edwards, let alone write it. My philosophy class, there was a question. Does society seem to be more rude or less rude than when you were a child? Hmm. Tough one, right? We all know that. You talk to your grandpa. I got to talk to a guy today or this weekend. He just let me have it. This old 90-year-old man. Just let me have it. How the world... I'm glad I'm dying. I don't even know what's happening. He was ready, man. He was ready to go. Listen, we have at least, at least... And, and uh, remember, the Bible doesn't say... That all of evo- that microevolution, microevolution cannot take place, and God couldn't use it. The Bible didn't say that. Macroevolution is incompatible with Scripture. Okay, but right now we have thousands, at least at least thousands of years of sin compounded and running through our veins. We are farther away from Adam and Eve. We are farther away from the garden. We are farther away from God, in a sense, than they were. That sin. That sin that's in us has an effect upon us. As human beings have advanced technologically, guess what else has advanced? Death. Sin. The 20th century was, um, historians tell us, the 20th century was the bloodiest and most violent century in the history of mankind. With industrialization and globalization came the industrialization of death. That's what Hitler taught us that, right? Evil exists. 
Evil. Evil exists. Come on. We know this, right? We know this. It's the reason we have locks on our doors and passwords on our computer. We don't believe people are naturally good. My kid goes on a walk down the neighborhood, and I'm just not like, oh, go ahead. Go in anybody's house you want to, bud. Have fun. No. There are evil, wicked people on this earth. Evolution cannot explain evil. Only God can. Listen, your college professor and Dr. Phil might blame it on their environment or chemical imbalance. And those things can be true. Those things do affect it. But the ultimate cause is sin. We live in a world where people will walk into movie theaters and start shooting people just for the fame of it. I feel like it's absolutely foolish to believe in evolution, that we're progressing and getting better. Foolish. What about evil? Things are getting, things seem to be getting darker and they continue to seem to continue to get darker. And in 1600 years of, of biblical history, that's exactly what happened. Listen, the, it is often said that the gospel is bad news before it's good news. And that's what I want to, I, I, I have to present that because that's what it's presented to us here in scripture. This is the bad news. Martin Luther is quoted as saying this, the knowledge of our sin and depravity is the beginning of salvation. The knowledge of our sin and depravity is the beginning of our salvation. I'll be honest, I didn't get that. When I was a kid, I came to Jesus because I was going to be on his A-team. He needed this dude. All right? And I wanted to be right, and I wanted to be on the, the victor side. And, hey, if Jesus is coming back, he's going to kill some folks, and he's going to take over the world, and I want to be on that team. I'm going to be a general in God's army, right? We sang the song. We sang the song. Yeah? The knowledge of our sin and depravity is the beginning of our salvation. Ephesians 2, one of my favorite scriptures, it tells us, we're not just sin sick. We're not good people that just need some back rubbing and positive self-help talk. And Come on, buddy. You can do it. You're good enough. You're smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like you. Now go out there and stop sinning. I think that's what we get in the majority of churches today. You can do it. And we're all sitting there like, I don't know, I've tried it a thousand times before. Maybe this week I'll do it. Maybe this is the week. And we're all just secretly going, come on, give me this Enoch thing. Just take me. Just beam me up. It's hard. Fighting sin is hard. Getting over this stuff in my life is hard. I feel like I can't do it. Paul doesn't tell us in Ephesians 2, you're sin sick and, oh boy, you know, you had bad parents and, you know, what, what, what's a guy to do when you got bad parents? 
What's a guy to do? You got chemical imbalances? Oh, what's a guy to do? I'm so sorry. Paul doesn't manage sin. Paul says in Ephesians 2, you're dead. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. Original sin gave birth to actual sin. And you're dead on the table. No heartbeat, no brain waves, nothing moving. That's the bad news. But this is the good news. What can a dead man do to save himself? What can a dead man do to save himself? Many of us have been raised in, you know, church. We say, oh, have faith. You know, you think you got that free will. Does a dead man have free will? All right, here's all you got to do. Here's the sinner's prayer. Just pray this. Pray this, dude. He's dead on the table. It's it's just the sinner's prayer. All they have to do is pray the sinner's prayer. Pray this. Flatline. All you got to do is have faith. What are you going to do? Weekend at Bernie's, try to pick him up and make him have faith? How you can do? He's dead on the table. Paul does not mix metaphors. Paul is not misspeaking. He's dead. Every one of us, we are born into the world spiritually bankrupt, dead. No way out of it on our own. No way to, maybe a little, we got this little bit of, of, of something inside of us that can somehow respond to God. Absolutely not. We're dead. We're dead, dead, dead. Somebody say it. We're Thank you. All right. Just didn't know if I was getting through or not. So what can a dead man do to save himself? Absolutely nothing. But God chooses by his sovereign grace through the Holy Spirit. He reaches inside of those dead people on the table and he gives them a heartbeat. He takes out that old heart of stone. He gives them a new heart of flesh. He breathes into his spirit and he gives them faith to believe the promise of the gospel. God does all the work of regeneration. It's common to ask, what comes first? Faith or regeneration? Regeneration comes first. We don't have faith. We're dead. God gives us everything we need for salvation. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died and completed it. Finished. Finuto. God the Father makes those people alive in him. Well, does our choice not matter? No, no, no. Don't go there. Don't go there. Our choice does matter. He's given you a new heart. He's breathed into, breathed into you the breath of life. He's given you faith to believe. And then how do we respond? We respond by trusting in the work of Christ on our behalf. It's a matter of what comes first. And this is what happens. Christians that are taught, they've got free will and they chose God. They're the most arrogant people on the planet. They walk around, why don't you choose God? Well, I got over my alcohol addiction. All I did was choose God and then he saved me. What's wrong with you? They create, oh boy, maybe. They get political agendas. They start trying to manage people's morality because it's about managing morality and not being made new from the Spirit of God. Jesus doesn't have a political agenda. He doesn't have a political party. Jesus makes dead sinners alive. Dead Republicans. Dead Democrats. Dead Independents. He makes them alive. 
We don't manage that kind of stuff. We don't try to legislate that kind of stuff. By grace. See, that's grace. That's what grace is. By grace we've been saved through faith. Not a result of works that no man can boast. We're not saved by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. What comes first? Regeneration before faith. This is why reformed people get so crazy about the gospel. This is why we get so crazy about talking about our sin. This is why every sermon and every service doesn't feel like a perpetual party that you walk in and we're all, woohoo! We want to talk about sin because when we're reminded that we were dead on the table and we're still dead on the table without Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's a real thing. We forget about it. We start walking around and worried about how Jesus can help us get a Lexus. Instead of remembering we're dead on the table and there's people still dead on the table and they need to hear the gospel because God uses the preaching of the gospel, the sharing of our lives, the breaking of bread together. He uses these things to bring dead people back to life. And when you can see that, when you can see just how dead you really are, you will be in a perfect position to see how good God's grace really is. And you'll never get it. You'll never get grace if you're still holding on a piece of your righteousness like, I'm not really that bad. Evil intentions of my heart? No. I'm not that bad. Now, you know, I've got a little bit of a selfishness problem. Right? It's just a little bitty thing that you can manage. And all your friends are like, oh my gosh. You'll never appreciate grace until you see how bad you really are. And listen, some people are like, oh, yeah, no, I, I get it. I see how bad I really am. So, so that's why I'm reading my Bible. And that's why I'm coming to church. And that's why I try to share my faith. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This isn't, this isn't an installment plan. You don't get to put salvation on layaway and pay for it as you go. This has been paid in full by Jesus Christ. We don't pay him back. We don't clean ourselves up and then come to God. Ooh. <laughs> I encourage you to write down Romans five twelve to 19 and read it when you get home. Because this is what it says. By one man's sin, Adam, all were made sinners. Listen to this. I want, I want you to hear this. Oh, God, this is so good. By one man's sin, all were made sinners. Did you have a choice in that? Did you have free will in that? And by, oh, and by one man's act of righteousness, all will be made righteous. No free will in that one? No free will in this one. Did, did Saul have free will when God showed up and knocked him off his horse and blinded him? Maybe. Okay, Jesus, you're legit. I get it. I'll, I'll do what you say. He's blinded. God overrides his free will. He does the same thing to us. He overrides our free will. He overrides our, dead, our deadness in sin. He overrides it. Boo, 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 boo. 
Our heart starts beating. Oh, God, I put my faith in you. He overrides it on our behalf. It's grace. Just like we didn't have a choice to be sinners, we don't have a choice to be righteous. Ah, man, that's a harsh way to say it because we do respond with a choice. We do respond in faith. But he does it in us. Well, that's what we want now. We want him now. And he gives it to us. Adam, thanks. You gave us your sin. Appreciate that one. I'm going to smack you in the butt when we get to heaven. All right? Appreciate that. Right? Jesus Christ gives us his perfect life. His perfect standard. His new blood. The blood of the new covenant. Blood that has no sin in it. Blood that cleanses and washes. Blood that makes new. So I ask you today, have you seen your sin? Can you admit your depravity. See, guys, we have these little idols. We really don't want to be that bad. Like, I don't, I'm not a liar. I just bend the truth sometimes. I'm not an adulterer. I just appreciate the beauty of a lot of different women. My righteousness is not found in my ability to sin or not sin. It's found in Jesus Christ. And that begins with me admitting I'm worse than I ever thought possible. To my core, to my heart. But at the same time, we don't stop there. I'm worse than I ever thought possible, but I'm more loved than I ever hoped. Jesus Christ has taken your depravity on himself and he killed it at the cross. He paid for it at the cross. I would tell you for every one look, for every one look you look inward, every one look you look at your sin, take 10 looks at Christ paying the debt on the cross. Jesus Christ has made a way for us like Enoch to walk with him. And he's not up there just saying, hey, I really hope you walk with me. Come on, get it together. Jesus Christ does the unthinkable, leaves heaven and comes down and walks with us. The incarnation, God with us. God comes down and walks with us. Lives the life that we cannot live, that we failed to live. Dies the death we all deserve. And God punishes our sins on him. So in Christ, we can have an intimate, daily walk with God. Intimacy with God. We can truly know him. In fact, our relationship can be more intimate now than even Enoch had because now Jesus has not only died for us, not only saved us, not only justified us, not only sanctifies us, he also comes and lives inside of us. It's called the union of Christ, a union with Christ. Jesus Christ comes through the Holy Spirit and lives inside of us, so he's inside of us now. You can't get any more intimate than that. He walks with us every day. As we take part in communion today, that's part of what that symbolizes. Christ in me. 
He's in me. This is phenomenal. The dead man on the table. God chose a corpse and he reaches inside and he places himself inside there. Phenomenal. And now where can I go to get away from God? I can't go, to, I can't go anywhere to get away from God because he's in me. Christ in me. The hope of glory. We've been united with Christ and it's the highest privilege of the gospel. We celebrate. So if you're here this morning and, you're, and, and you see your sin and you admit your depravity, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart right now. That's the work of God. And there's only two things to do. We, we, we have faith and we repent. That's it. It's the only thing you're going to hear from a Christian. It's the only thing you're going to hear from us. Faith and repentance. That's where we live. Believe that Christ died for you. Turn from your sins and turn to him. You can do that today. You could do that today. Listen, believer. Faith. Believe that the blood of Christ has more effectual power than the sin of Adam. Believer, you will fight to believe that every day of your life. The blood of Christ has more effectual power than the sin of Adam. We all, I think we all believe and we know the power of sin. We can't get over that thing and we can't stop doing that thing. We all get the power of it. And it can, it can bring us to despair, to think it's never going to change. Put your faith in God and believe the blood of Christ has more power than the sin of Adam. As you come today to the table, believe you're receiving the blood of Christ and it has more power than the sin of Adam. Father, I thank you for this incredibly difficult text that you gave us. Um, I pray that it was preached with clarity as much as I could. And I pray that you, you, your word never returns void and all scripture is profitable. So I pray that you even today regenerated the hearts of those who sit in unbelief and you give them the faith to believe. Father, I ask as we take part in communion, the Lord's Supper, uh, that you would be near to us here, that we would all turn from our sin, believers and unbelievers, we would turn from our sin, and we'd embrace you by faith, and we would walk out of here overwhelmed at the sovereign grace of God, overwhelmed the fact that you call us sons and daughters and that you live in us now. Move our hearts to worship, Father. Jesus' name. Amen.